put our country in peril, the women of America rallied to the support of their men. And here, in this almost the last great industry we thought could be handled only by men, these mothers, wives, and sweethearts came to stand shoulder to shoulder with them in almost every capacity. These marvelous women of America, these women of steel, Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you at Grace at Home. Thank you for inviting us into your home again on another Sunday morning. But little did you know, you aren't just at home. You are also here at Grace Community Church. Look at what some of our creative staff have done. I now get to preach to you, <laughs> even though you're in my living room. So thank you for being here in the worship center as well as at home this morning. And our worship team gets to sing along with you in the worship center. You guys are kind of quiet, but... <laughs> You know, so it's good to see you here as well as in your living room. You know, our goal is to get back to worshiping together in person. And so I hope you would pray together with me, uh, with our pastoral staff, with our, our elders, that God would go before us and allow us to meet together in person because things are best when we're together. I think we would all agree that with that, that things are best when we are together. Now, our virtual small groups are still meeting, and so if you'd like to join one of our virtual small groups, I'd invite you to do that. All you do is in that connection card, when you complete that before you log off today, uh, there's a section there where you can say, hey, sign me up for a virtual small group. You might as well join one now because when we all get to get together in person again. Small groups will continue in person as well. And so though it is great to see you this morning on our Grace at Home live stream. Now today we're going to talk about doctrine. And maybe you fell asleep even before I finished that sentence. We're talking something about a doctor. I don't even know. Today we are talking about doctrine. And doctrine simply is a set of beliefs. A set of beliefs about something. And the Bible is filled with doctrines, doctrines about sin. What is it? Who it affects? What, what, what does it mean for people? A doctrine about humanity. Where did we come from? Where, where are we going? What is our destiny? Uh, doctrine about God. Uh, where is he? Is he three? Is he one? Where does his power come from? The doctrines of God. And doctrine is very Important. Let me tell you why doctrine is important. Uh, Tanya and I, as you know, uh, led our student ministries for a long time here at Grace. And, and you know the student ministries, you know the ones that think they know everything, them. <laughs> Statistics say that 60% of them are going to leave our church once they graduate from high school. That's not just Grace Community Church. That is all the churches in the United States. 60% of students, once they graduate from high school, will leave their church. And some of you can identify with that because those kids are from your own families. And you're praying for them, and that is a good thing. I am praying for them, too. Now, the good news is, is that the statistics say that 50% of those will come back later on when they have their own families because they want to raise their family the way that they were raised. And that is a good point for those of you who do have kids in the home. Remember what we talked about last week? 
that, that setting a foundation in our homes, kind of giving them an idea of what it is, that even if our teenagers kind of go a little wacky, even though they kind of go down the wrong road once they graduate from high school, they know the way to correct themselves. They know what it's like to get back because that's the way that they grew up. And so the question is, is our home today the way that we want our teenagers to correct themselves and get back on the right way? Is that the way that it is today in our home? And if it's not, no worries, now it's time to change it, okay? But the good news is, is that these teenagers, 50% of them, will make it back to a church family. But every teenager that we lost, we lost for a singular reason. The reason that we lost them is because of bad doctrine. Not, not our doctrine, is bad. Their doctrine is bad. There was something that they misunderstood about God. And you might say, no, 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 it wasn't bad doctrine that, that uh, caused them to, to go some weird way or to leave the church. It, it was because they, they turned into an atheist. They matured and they, they turned into an atheist. Well, atheism is simply believing that there is no God, and that is bad doctrine. You say, no, 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 it's not bad doctrine. That's not why they left the church. They left the church because they grew up, they matured, they, they started to ask more questions, and they, so they'd ask, why would a good, loving God allow those bad things to happen to those good people? And either he is incompetent to fix it, or he is unloving, or he is just a liar, but in any case, he's not God. Well, that's bad doctrine. And I would submit to you that most people who aren't Christians today are not Christians because of bad doctrine. They misunderstand something about God, and because of that misunderstanding, they're unable to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not that they know all the truths about God and they're just rejecting this. It, they misunderstand something about God, and that... that that bad doctrine is what has prevented them from putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And that is what the Apostle Paul is worried about. The Apostle Paul writes what we are studying in 2 Timothy. Remember, he wrote almost half the New Testament. And most of the books that he wrote, most of the letters that he wrote, were a way to refute bad doctrine. You remember Galatians? Galatians was that church where the Christian Jews were telling all the, the newbie Gentile Christians when they came in the back door, they said, hey guys, you need to get circumcised in order to be a real Christian. And Paul gets out his laptop and he starts banging away at the computer and he, and he says, no, 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 that's bad doctrine. We are not under the law. That's being circumcised in order to be right with God. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Instead, that is bad doctrine. He sends off the, this letter to the Galatians. And then there's the, the, the letter to the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church was all about works, righteousness, where you could get yourself to heaven by doing good things. And that makes sense to us, right? I and mean, it makes sense that if we do good things, God smiles, we we are in a better place with God. And Paul breaks out his, his pen and his paper. And he starts writing a letter. And he says, no, 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 that is bad doctrine. And then there's that book, uh, that letter, uh, Colossians. And that is all about Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is this idea where God created the world and then he stepped away from it. God creates it, and then he is now distant from it, and he sends his angels, though, to come and do his bidding. And so the angels, essentially, are the ones that are to be worshipped and the, one to, the ones to be prayed for. And I know some people who have kind of the same idea even still today, and Paul breaks out his pen and paper again. He starts to write out, no, 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 that is bad doctrine. 
Half the New Testament is written to refute bad doctrine. This is not a boring thing. We can't just sit back and say, oh, this doctrine thing is pretty boring. This was the issue that Paul was concerned about with Timothy as well. So let's read the five verses that we are going to be studying today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's begin reading at verse 1. It says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's the doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, pastor of Grace Community Church in the first century, you, Timothy, be sober in all these things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul writes to Pastor Timothy and he says, you know, there are a lot of things that we can get away with, but bad doctrine isn't one of them. There are a lot of things that we can get away with. Yeah, there are some things that, that we won't be able to do, do as well as, as everyone else. The production value of our live stream might not be what it is on NBC. I get it, but we can get away with those things, but we can't get away with bad doctrine. And this is what he says in verse 20. He says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. There is a God, a singular God, three in one God, and every person is going to stand before that God someday. The Bible says, everyone is appointed to die, and after this comes the judgment. And the Bible says that every knee will bow in submission to that God in heaven. And some people are going to bow their knee like they have lived their entire lives in complete humility. In humility before a righteous and holy God, realizing that they do not deserve to go to heaven. And then there will be other people and that appointment with God will not go as well. They are going to bow the knee, but in complete humiliation because they are going to realize that there are things that they did not understand correctly about God. And so this is what is at stake. There is an appointment with God in heaven. And I think you want your appointment to go well, don't you? Don't you want your, your appointment for your kids with God in heaven to go well, don't you? This is why this is so important. Don't you want that appointment for your friends that you work with? Don't you want that appointment that they have with God in the future? Don't you want that to go well? Even the family members that you might not really like doing Thanksgiving with, wouldn't you want their uh, appointment with God to go well for them? In heaven, this is what is at stake. And so this is what Paul wants Timothy to do in verse two. He says, I want you to preach the Bible. He wants, to, he wants him to do that to reprove, which means to correct, to rebuke, to say, no, that's wrong, but this is right. And to exhort, go do the right thing. To correct, to differentiate the wrong and the right, and then to encourage people to go and do the right thing. And, there, and how is Timothy supposed to do that? This is the part that most Christians forget. Okay? He's to do that with patience and with instruction. Some translations say careful instruction. If someone has good doctrine, 
and yet they are unlistenable, then it doesn't matter if they have good doctrine because nobody's listening. If someone has good doctrine, but, but it's, they're completely unlistenable, it doesn't matter. If, they, if they're yelling at people, no one's going to hear them anyway, even if they do have good doctrine. If the person is known as a mean-spirited person, they might have great doctrine. But if they are known by their friends or their family members as being mean, as being cruel, or, or being bitter, or, or being judgmental, it doesn't matter if they have good doctrine because nobody is listening anyway. It doesn't matter if a person has good doctrine if they aren't patient with the people who are skeptical to lead them on in the right way. This is the one that a lot of Christians forget about this part. Good doctrine is important, but it must come with patience with the people and proper, careful instruction to people along the way. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says that there are going to be people who aren't going to endure this sound doctrine anymore. And I know that sometimes listening to doctrine sounds like I have to endure this, but the word sound means precise or accurate or true. Okay? Sound, precise, accurate, true doctrine. Okay? Set of beliefs. Precise, accurate, true sound of beliefs, uh, uh, set of beliefs. And so there are going to be people as things go along that are not interested in sound, accurate set of beliefs anymore. Why? Because they have something that needs, they have, a, they have an itch that needs to be scratched. They're looking for something else. They're bored of the sound doctrine and they're looking for something new. And they, so they go around and they start looking for churches that will do it in a way that is new and is exciting. And so they'll go to one church and say, what'd you say? Man, I've heard that before. What did you say? Oh, you'll turn my $100 into $1,000? You scratch the itch. I'm there. Now, what did you say? Eh, I've heard that a thousand times. What did you say? You can cure me of my cancer? You scratched an itch. I'm there. What did you say? Ah, that's boring. Your church is boring. What is it like at your church? You have a, a diving board into the swimming pool? Boom, I'm there. You scratched an itch. And you might have the, the inclination to say, no, 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 no. Don't make a decision like that because that's bad doctrine. And they'd say, who cares? We don't care about the bad doctrine. We just want something new and something relevant. You got to scratch the itch. But hey, look, I have something to tell you. The Bible is 2,000 years old. There, there probably isn't much in the Bible that is just going to blow your mind someday. That's going to, to be a brand new revelation to you. One of the purposes of the Bible is that it would remind you of the set of beliefs that you're supposed to have. Particularly for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, the Bible is more about reminding us of the things that we have already been taught than to teach us brand new things. To remind us of the doctrine that we have been taught because our culture and our own hearts and our own feelings are going to lead us in another direction. And so when the Bible is taught is to remind us of the set of beliefs that we have and that they need to be accurate and they need to be true. And here is what they, here is what they 
are. If you're new to all of this, if you're a relatively new Christian and some of these things are still all new to you, just want you to know that the Bible, this book is all we need for salvation. This book is all we need for eternity. And so doctrine is not boring, right? Doctrine is not boring. And then we finally get to verse five where it says, but you, Timothy, you pastor of Grace Community Church Ephesus in the first century, you, you be sober in all these things. Sober isn't like, hey, Timothy, you need to stop drinking the six-pack. It's sober, you need to have your mind, I guess it would include the six-pack, but it's, you need to have your mind focused on these things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Instead of being one of those scratch the itch, kind of pastors, be one of these instead. Be an evangelist. That's kind of a churchy word. The Greek word is angelion. Angelion is uh, the phrase for good news. So instead of being a scratch the itch kind of pastor, be a good newsist. Be a good news kind of pastor instead. And so doctrine isn't boring. If you have the wrong doctrine of eternity, of heaven, of hell, of your body, of your soul, of God, of Jesus, of sin. If you have the wrong doctrine in any of these areas, that appointment that you have scheduled for God in heaven could go very bad. Your eternity is at stake. Doctrine cannot be boring, even though it might sound boring Sometimes there are four things that I want you to know about bad doctrine. Four things that I want you to know about bad doctrine. First, bad doctrine flows from my feelings. Bad doctrine flows from my feelings. A huge danger in our doctrine is is my feelings. If if that's what I think, if that's how I feel, and it ha- then that has to be true, and so that's going to equal bad doctrine. And you might wonder, how in the world could it be, how could it be asking the question, how do I feel about this? How could that be bad doctrine? Well, let me tell you the difference between good doctrine and bad doctrine. Good doctrine is asking the question, how does God feel about this? And bad doctrine, then, is how do I feel about this? And so, let me give you an example. Someone might ask the question, uh, do, do people go to hell? Do people go to hell? And someone might have the inclination to say, I just, I don't think so. I can't imagine that. You might ask them why. And they'd say, well, I just, I just don't feel like a, a God who, who loves life and God who knit the person together in their mother's womb and gave them their soul, I just can't imagine that at the end of this appointment in heaven that they would end up in hell. I just can't, can't imagine that being. And then you might ask them, well, where do you see that in the Bible? And they would say, I, I know you're trying to prove something to me and all, but, but I, just, I just can't 
I, I, I can't see how that would be, and yet the scripture is clear that, that hell is a real place and that people who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus go there. Why would God send his son Jesus to die on the cross if there is no hell? Why would God tell Christians to be the angelion, the, the, the preachers of the angelion of the good news? Why would he have them do that if there is no hell? And that person would say, yeah, 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 I know. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You can you can." Think whatever you want to think, but I just, I've searched my heart and I just can't imagine that God would be that way. I have to pick what my heart would think or what the Bible would think, and I've chosen my heart. I want to remind you what Jesus says about what comes from a person's heart. It says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, and adulteries, and fornicators, fornications, and thefts, false witness, and slanders. Imagine trying to hire somebody to be your life coach, okay? You're, you're trying to find somebody that's going to lead your life. And so you, you put something on the internet, I'm looking for a life coach. And let's just say your heart applies. You say, okay, I need to see your resume, heart. So he slams down the resume and he says, yeah, you know, I've had some evil thoughts. And yeah, I, I've murdered some people, but it's not the kind of murder that anybody knows about. And yeah, I've committed adultery with my spouse, but they don't know about that either. And I have stolen things from my boss and I am a liar, but that makes me a perfect leader of your life. <laughs> don't hire your heart to be your life coach. Okay? He would be a bad life coach. Our hearts are not meant to be the leader. Our hearts are meant to be led by somebody else. Well, who? Well, that's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. That would be allowing our, our feelings to, to set our doctrine. In our, all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And so first, bad doctrine flows from our own feelings. Secondly, bad doctrine is refined by my experience, my personal experience. Now, there is nothing wrong with our experiences, and they are important, and they do sh certainly shape the, the life that we live. But my experience should be shaped by good doctrine as opposed to my experiences beginning to shape the things that I believe. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, Tanya and I... Um, we had been married for eight years, and people started to wonder, when are the two of you going to have children? <laughs> and so finally, after eight years, we were finally pregnant, and, uh, and that was an exciting time for us. We both worked at the same place. We worked up in, um, in Forest Falls at the Christian Conference Center up there, and we didn't work in the same location, uh, but we worked on the same campus. And so for lunch, we could see uh, each other for lunch. And so one day, uh, pregnant Tanya comes uh, over for lunch and she says, you know, I think something's not right. I think we need to go see the doctor. And you know, like the worst fears, you know, kind of run through your mind. And you know me, I'm kind of an even keeled kind of guy. So I don't get overly worried and I don't get overly excited or anything like that. And so I try to calm Tanya down. I say, okay, well, let's eat first because that is the most important thing right now. It's lunchtime. <laughs> But after lunch, we did go to the doctor with Tanya, and our worst fears were, were realized. And we found out that Tanya was in the middle of a miscarriage. And uh, those of you who've experienced that know how difficult of a time it was, and it was. It was one of the most difficult times in our marriage. 
And in the, in the middle of that, Tanya cried. I didn't. I'm not a crier. And a few weeks later, after Tanya finally stopped crying, then I cried, and I'm not a crier. And it would have been easy in that moment for my experience to shape my set of beliefs and say, God, this is the plan, God, to, to create the life and to get us all excited and then to, to kill it in, in, before it's even born. How in the world could that be your plan, God? It'd be easy to do that, but remember, God is good, even when things are going bad in my experience. And so the question is, is God, how are you being good here? Show me where your goodness is in all of this. And of course, that didn't come right away. And now as we're further away from that moment, we can look back on that time and we could see how God was deepening our faith in him and building our closeness with each other. And now Tanya has the opportunity to encourage and, and help other women that are going through the exact same situation that we would have never had without that experience. But good doctrine is this, that God never planned the death. Remember the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden was perfect, and it was meant for perfect communion be between God and humans. God walking in the garden with humanity, humans getting to know God, God coming close to humans, perfection for all of eternity with no death. That is the way that God created it. And then sin robbed us of all of those good things. That's doctrine in scripture. Sin is the one that brings the death. Sin is the one that brings the miscarriage. Sin is the one that brings the cancer. Sin is the one that brings the coronavirus. God creates the delight and then, then sin comes in and, and infuses the disease and the destruction and, and the, the terrible aspects of, of life. And yet when somebody dies, we, we say, Why, how could you do that, God? As if God is the one who killed him. It isn't. God is still good, even when my experience is bad. And so our kids know about the miscarriage that we had. They know that they have a brother or a sister waiting for them in heaven. And sometimes that's like a threat, you know, <laughs> when they get in trouble. Are you trying to go see your brother a little or because you're about this close to go see your brother in heaven right now, you know? But my bad experience does not shape my set of beliefs. My set of beliefs about who God is is what can define and can re, uh, reframe my mind about the experience that I am living in. Thirdly, bad doctrine is shaped by culture. Bad doctrine is shaped by culture. You know, there are a lot of popular thoughts about God, about Jesus, about the Bible and Christians. That God is homophobic, that Jesus is unloving, that the Bible is racist, and Christians just don't care. And the world can think those things, but that doesn't mean that it is true. Just because our culture says something doesn't necessarily make it true about God. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying this, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. 
just because you write darkness on the wall doesn't change the fact that there is light coming through the window and shining on the wall. And just because our culture says something about God does not make those things true. As a matter of fact, if your doctrine is being shaped by your culture, then you have bad doctrine. Bad doctrine is what shapes our culture. And we live in a culture that is known as a postmodern culture. We're, we're in a postmodern culture. And what postmodernism means, that there is no truth to be uh, found or discovered. It is that we invent or create our own truth, and truth is continually, to be, continually being created. And that's not the world that really we have lived in um, really up until the last eh, 20 or so years. We have lived in a modern culture, which is very different than the one that we are living in today. And so I want to show you the history of how culture can swing like a pendulum and how doctrine can swing like a pendulum along with the culture that we live in. You'll remember that things were started with uh, Catholicism. And that's kind of where doctrine was for quite a long time. And the doctrine in the Catholic Church began to kind of squeak sideways. And that's when Martin Luther comes in and he nails the 95 Thesis on the wall because he noticed that there were some, some issues with doctrine in the church. They were selling indulgences, you know, like sin credits. And it was a booming business. And so he nails the 95 Thesis on the on the door of the Catholic Church, and that is what started the Reformation. And things started to swing back this other way in the Reformation. And Martin Luther created a very strict framework of doctrine. It was doctrine, 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 doctrine. Yes, sir, you're either in or you're out. And if you're even just a little bit out, you are way, <laughs> way out. And it was not very socially acceptable kind of life to live in a religious way. And so things started to swing in another way. And so culture began to change away from that to something known as mysticism. And mysticism was all about the spirits. And, and you could just believe whatever you wanted to believe. It didn't matter as long as you called it spiritual and then you would be religious. And that was mysticism. But the problem with mysticism was that there was nothing firm. There was nothing uh, to be settled upon. And so throughout the ages, things moved from mysticism to what we have known for uh, quite a while now, which is known as modern or modernity. And modernity is where we have lived 
since 1500. And modernity is all about data. It's about information. It's about just the facts. And so if I can use the facts of science to prove that there is no God, then what do we need God for, you know? And so modernity is all about the facts. And so Christians jumped on board with modernity as well. And that's where we get all of the apologetics ministries. That's where we get the, if I have more facts than you, um, I'm going to compare my facts to your facts and I'm going to debate um, an, an atheist and if I can win more points than I win him to, to my side, I have to prove that my side is true. If I can prove it better than you, then I win and you lose. And so it was all based on fact and this is where we have lived since 1500. And most theologians and, and sociologists uh, believe that modernism began to fade in the 1980s. And so if you were born uh, sometime before the 1980s, you grew up in the modernism, the, the modernity, the facts and, and the lists and the proofs. But that's not where we live today. We live in a different culture than that. Maybe you've already noticed that things have begun to shift again and our culture now is in another place. The pendulum has swung and now we are in the post-modern world. We're in a post-modern culture. Uh, like I introduced, postmodernism is where there is no truth to be found or to be discovered. That a person declares their own truth. They find they invent their own truth. I'm a turtle. Okay, you can be a turtle. That's your truth. <laughs> All right? I'm not a turtle, but if that's what you want to be, hey, you're a turtle. You know, you know some people that are really militant like this. You know, the, the, gra the grass is blue. No, I think the grass is green. The grass is blue! Okay, okay, you, your grass is blue. Go for it. But all of this drives most of us crazy, doesn't it? I, that, that just, it just drives us nuts. And so that's why we think if I can just have a little few more facts, if I can just post another YouTube video, if I can just list a, another set of facts on Facebook, then these people are going to believe me because I have pointed to more facts. That's where you grew up, but that's not the culture that we live anymore. These people over here are saying, fine, you can believe that. That can be your truth, whatevs, but that's just not my truth anymore. That's yours, but not mine. And all of this, of course, drives everybody absolutely crazy. And so you can see how the culture swings back and forth like a pendulum. And yet the Bible has never changed. The Bible has been consistent. The, the Bible's doctrine never changes. And so... Bad doctrine becomes bad doctrine when it is shaped by the culture and the swings of the culture. And finally, number four, number four, bad doctrine cannot be 
confirmed in the Bible. I know you, you're like, you got to get to the Bible, Pastor. I know you got to get there sometime. <laughs> you knew I was going to get there. Here you go, right? We've already looked at this last couple weeks. So we won't spend a long time on this, but all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The point here in this one is that if you can't find it in scripture, then it isn't good doctrine. It isn't sound. It isn't accurate. It, it's something else. It's uh, a postmodern concept that is newly invented, and someone might think that it's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. And so bad doctrine cannot be, you cannot find bad doctrine in Scripture. You can find good doctrine in Scripture. And so here are the four. Bad doctrine flows from my feelings. I just, I just feel that it's this way, and so it has to be this way. And that's going to be where you get bad doctrine. Bad doctrine flows from my experience. It, my, life was, my life was difficult. I got a bad job. My family didn't have a lot of money. And so that frames the things that I think about God by. And if I had a better job, and if I had more money, and if I grew up in a, in a nicer family, then I would think different things about God. Well, that's bad doctrine because God always remains the same in Scripture. And finally, bad doctrine comes from, bad doctrine cannot be con confirmed in God's Word, cannot be confirmed by the Bible. You can't find it being accurate in, in Scripture. And so then we come to this conclusion that there's this appointment that everyone is going to have before God in heaven. And if you get the doctrine wrong about sin, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. If, if, you, get, if you get the doctrine of sin wrong, the Bible says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all done our own thing. The Bible says that as, as humans, we are separated from God because of, our, because of our sin. God creates us to live forever. Sin comes in with Adam and Eve, and ever since then, we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. We can't make it to heaven on our own. And so what is our destiny? Our destiny is hell, eternity in hell, without anything that changes it. But that's where the, the doctrine of God has to come in. We've looked at the doctrine of sin. The sin separates us from, from God. We, we've looked at the doctrine of humanity. We're created to live with God forever in heaven, but sin separates us from God. And so, and so now we have this destiny of eternity in hell, and yet it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. Now here comes the doctrine of God. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The second person of that trinity, Christ Jesus, comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. He never sins one time so that when he goes to the cross, he's dying for my sin and he's dying for your sin. Three days later, he rises from the grave proving that he is God and he can do something that only God can do. He can bring dead things back to life. The Bible says that, Christian, that people are dead in their sin, but when they put their faith and their trust in Jesus, they are born into this new life in Christ. They are now a new creation. They are born born again, the Bible says. And now this person is living a life that is different than they ever have lived before because their sins have been washed away. They changed their mind about who Jesus is. His death on the cross pays for their sins. And now they have the hope of eternity in heaven. But the third person of that Trinity, you have God the Father and you have God the Son. The third person of that Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of the life of every single Christian and helps them to live a life honoring to Jesus Christ. And so maybe you've had some bad doctrine. Maybe you've begun to believe it. 
Or maybe your feelings have gotten in the way and your experience has shaped some of your ideas about God and now our culture and the, and, and the, 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 the culture's impressions of God have be, begun to get you kind of headed in the wrong direction. And today's the day to be reminded that the Bible is where you find good doctrine. But maybe today you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus because you know that you aren't quite ready for that appointment. I don't know when that appointment is, I do know that it's right when you died. The Bible says it is appointed unto man to die once and after this comes the judgment. That's your appointment. And the Bible says you will bend your knee. You will bend your knee. Will it be in humility realizing that you are a sinner in front of a righteous and holy God? Or will it be in complete humiliation realizing that there were some things that you misunderstood about God? You had some bad doctrine. This decision that you make right now about Jesus Christ will affect your eternity. Doctrine isn't boring. And so today's the day where you can make this decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not sure what to say. All you do is you talk to God in the comfort of your own heart. You don't need to say anything out loud. God knows what's on your mind. He knows what's in your heart. You can't convince God of something that you don't genuinely believe. But if you believe that Jesus is God, and he came to earth on Christmas Day, and he lived a perfect life, and so when he dies on the cross, he is dying for your sin. It is perfect blood. Do you believe that? That Jesus dying on the cross was paying for your sin. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? That he, he can bring dead things back to life? All you have to do is talk to God about it. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin, and I need it. And so I put my faith and my trust and my belief in this Jesus. I want to be born into this new life. I don't want to sin like that anymore. I want you to help me to live a life that is way different than that. You just say these things to God in the comfort of your own heart. Let's all pray together as a church to God. We thank you for your word and we thank you for what it means to us. And God, we thank you for the doctrine that comes from your Bible. And may our church be framed by the truth that is in your word. And God, we give our church to you. We give the, the issues that we are experiencing today with the coronavirus to you. This is your church, and we'd love to meet sooner than later, God. And so we pray that you would go before us and you would work things out that would allow us to meet together in person. And we do lift up the people who are sick, the people who uh, work in the hospitals. Uh, we pray for our political leaders making decisions. I pray that you would change their hearts and their minds that they would be saved and that they would make decisions that are best for the people that they lead and I pray for the scientists that you would give them supernatural wisdom into the biology and chemistry of the coronavirus that allow them to come up with conclusions that would allow um, us to get back to doing the things that we do and so God we give our church to you we give our lives to you um, and we're thankful for all that you've provided for us and we pray this in Jesus name Amen